As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So, no, it's been a crazy week for me. I've been uh, producing... Uh, or at least prepping to produce for the, the Pac-12 tournament. We're out in Vegas, but I'm in San Francisco producing shows. Uh, we did the, the, the men's award show, and I've been doing the podcast for the Pac-12 stuff. And in the midst of this, of course, without fail, my son, who's over two years old, has not slept through the night basically for more than a handful of times in his entire two years. I mean, oh, and, and no, when we were in the hospital with this kid, the nurse came out and said, wow, we all agreed we've never heard a louder crier in all our time doing nursing. What? They told you that? Told us that. And, you know, they're looking at it laughing and all. And having two other kids, I'm extremely depressed about that thought. And and he is kept up. I mean, he kicks his his crib. Sweetest boy in the world. Greatest kid. He's happy. He's healthy. So I, I'm happy about all that. Oh. But in, But you need sleep at a certain point. You know, you need sleep. And oh. we haven't gotten it in a long, long time. So, so, uh, so how long are you away for? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm producing the show locally, even though it's done remotely. So oh, you know how those. I thought are. you were in Vegas. No, I'm in San Francisco, and that's that's the killer. So everyone else is enjoying themselves, sleeping more than I am, even oh. though they're in Vegas having a good time. So, oh, man. I thought you were in Vegas, and I thought this was a story about your wife, that she hasn't slept. Oh, boy. No, no, no. I, oh, listen, I, I feel bad for my wife. She's an amazing she's an amazing person. Kate is the, the sweetest, and she's beautiful, and she's perfect. And I want to make sure I say all those things because I don't do it enough when I'm praising <laughs> your work as a, as a husband. So um, we've, got, we've got a great show, though, coming up. Uh, yeah, yeah, we do. I'm headed off... Uh, I'm headed off to Frisco to the uh, being an Eagles fan. I'm doing we're doing the Conference USA tournament on Stadium. I've got two quarterfinal games on on Thursday. Old Dominion, the the one seed in Western Kentucky, the two against uh, whoever wins on Wednesday. And I'm, I'm being an Eagles fan, doing this tournament from the Star, from the Ford Center at the Star, the Cowboys practice facility. Just, just thank God the Eagles actually have a, a Lombardi trophy, so I don't have to walk in there and look at those Lombardi trophies and having never seen one before. <laughs> thought you were going to say that you are going to deface one of the uh, items in the, uh, in the venue, but you know, I'm but sure for a broadcaster, I, it's not a good idea to mention No, that. not a good idea, but I have been, I've been going through DFW Airport a lot and in Dallas, and every time I walk past that effing Emmett Smith store, I think, <laughs> you know what, like, if you're going to get arrested— <laughs> why not get a, why not get arrested for defecating inside the Emma Smith store at DFW? The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot goes well with both red and white and is perfect with a workout of your choice. Our co-hosts are on both coasts and they have all of NBA Nation covered. Adam Stanko in the Bay Area, and Noah Kozlov in the Big Apple. Catch and Shoot, featuring myself, Adam Stanko, and Noah Kozlov, is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Our show features great guests such as George Carl, Rick Barry, and Steve Javi. That's an episode you've got to listen to. A new episode of Catch and Shoot drops every Wednesday. 
Our Friday show is the Pure Hoops podcast with three-time NBA champion B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman. B.J.'s takes are, I, I, it says in here in the script, Noah, that I have to say that he, the takes are dope. I don't know if I need to, but... No, that's something, that's something Newman would say. It is something Newman would say. And, uh, <laughs> and our Monday show is the Mike Wise Show, formerly known as the Wise-Ass Show. You can figure out why nobody tells a story quite like Mike, and some of his guests have been Jamal Crawford, Jeannie Buss, PJ Carlissimo, and Rick Buecher. Please check them all out. Subscribe, download, rate, review, and, of course, enjoy. Guys, explain this to me. All right, so... Noah, explain this to me. Is it reasonable to take the field versus the Warriors finally to win the title this year? Ooh. All right, so right now, I looked it up earlier today, Adam. The Warriors are minus 200 to win the title, plus 160 for the field. I put a few bucks on the field. And now, to win the West, it's minus 300, plus 225. (laughs) So, they, they think that it's easier for the Warriors to get out of the West than it is to end up winning the NBA title. And, and you could look at any number of factors for that. But I do think it is reasonable for the first time during this run to have this conversation responsibly, given the way that the Warriors' flaws have been exposed. And I think a lot of it has to do with the bench. It has a lot to do with getting up for games, but it... it, it to me, that seems like it's a convenient excuse when they end up losing or when they end up winning. Oh, they wanted to play today. They didn't, they didn't want to play today. And also, DeMarcus Cousins. And how things are handled when Boogie can't be on the floor. Because right now, Adam, his defense is atrocious. And it's a, and he's, pardon me, he's, he's beyond a liability when he's out there on the floor defensively. And the offense changes when he's out there also. So... I'm interested to see in the playoffs how rotations are handled and when rotations are, are adjusted, how the egos go from there. Yeah, the egos have been an issue all year long. And I, I know the interesting part, and Steve Kerr's talked about it, how difficult three-peats are. He's He's gone through it as a player and now certainly as a coach trying to battle it. There's, I mean, you get worn down. I mean, Larry Bird used to say that – players don't like to hear the same coach's voice for three seasons that that like that's the shelf life is three years and then you need to get a new voice and I think it's interesting to think that you know we're starting to see I think irritation is probably the best word to describe what it looks like from afar for what's going on with the with the Warriors and you talk about KD has his issues with Draymond even though you know, B.J. Armstrong has told us that they were just fine, but I, I, I don't know if I if I totally buy that. Um, I don't think they're just fine. And, and certainly now you throw in Cousins, it's sort of like what we all sort of expected or, or were, were thinking could happen at its worst, and it's coming out to play like that. And now, I mean, whether this is just something they're going through and something they can overcome will be interesting to see. But for me, what it's like now I'm thinking about them winning a championship I keep having this thought that you brought it up, I think on the last podcast, Noah, where you said that the one thing about all the teams in the East is that they haven't really been there, right? The superstars haven't haven't really been there. Right. But, here's the th- but here's the thing, is that whoever gets, it's like they will have earned their way 
to the finals this year. So whoever makes it this year is almost going to be battle-tested. It's almost like they would have picked up their experience in what they did this playoffs. So even though we don't know who that is right now, if it's Toronto, let's say, that makes their way in, now all of a sudden it's not just Kawhi, but the rest of the group has collectively like picked up this extra experience. If it's uh, if it's Boston again now, that's another year, and, and Gordon Hayward's now been through the fight. If it's Philly, all of a sudden they're going to come through having to, to beat the path that they had to beat to, to get there. So I almost think it's inexperience now, but in order to get there, do you know what I'm saying? In order to get there, they would have had to earn experience points, I guess, if we were playing a video right, I get game it. along I, the way. Yeah, I get it, but, I, but the finals themselves are just so different. This is true. This is so, true. And, but, I'm, but I'm interested now to see – so. What games the rest of the way do we watch the Warriors and say, okay, yeah, those are those are the Warriors. So is it so is it tomorrow or as we record this, it's Tuesday, so tomorrow night against Houston in Houston yeah. or yes. Saturday at Oklahoma City? Is that it? And then and then what? Like, all right, so they've got then San Antonio, Minnesota, Pacers, Dallas, Detroit, Memphis, Minnesota, Charlotte, and then again when you see Denver on. Tuesday, April second. These are the only games that you can that you can judge them on, or is it against some of these other teams to see what what actually works with some rotations, or then who they're sitting to make sure that they're healthy? Because I I do think that there are there are flaws to this team, but when they're at their best, there's nobody better, and there's nobody even a close second. I don't think. But how often have we seen them at their best? And this well, is crazy that we're even saying this because they're 45 and 21. Of course, of course. But l- let me ask you this part about the, the Cousins factor. When they brought him in at the mid-level, we all said, I can't believe the Warriors did it again. They added this unbelievable piece. It, no risk, right? It's a one-year opportunity. Just add him to the fold. He'll play his limited minutes. Whatever role he adds, he's going to be awesome for them. He's just what they need. He can pass it. He can shoot it from the outside. He spaces the floor. Um, and they needed a, a big. It's almost like they, they picked up everything they sort of needed in one guy. But I'm wondering now, is the downside when they get to the playoffs and now you have to balance DeMarcus Cousins' minutes with what's best for them defensively, as you point out, because that's always what's made the Warriors run so impressive. Everyone talks about in the third quarter, they take off and they start hitting threes and they're so crazy good. But it always starts on the defensive end. They get a few turnovers, they get a few stops, Mm -hmm. and that's when they get out and push. So the question for, for you, I guess right now I'm asking is, how is Kerr going to balance this? Or is it even an issue that DeMarcus Cousins now has to, you have to worry about his minutes compared to you know, what he's doing negatively impacting you. Well, look, I, I think it's a huge deal for Boogie because he's looking for his next contract. And a lot of this is based on how do you perform in the playoffs. So if he can't be out there on the floor in the playoffs against the best teams in basketball, then he's losing money every single minute he's on the bench. And you better believe he's thinking about that because it's not just about a ring for DeMarcus Cousins. Not like he's been in the league forever. The guy's never even been in the playoffs. So we so we've never known which one which boogie cousins we would see in the playoffs because he's never been there. So and you mentioned that you know they needed a big and they got a big and someone that can do all these things but it's it's a different type of big than they've had in the past in order to that has won them titles. And it's it's not a big that can be switched out there on pick and rolls and hold his own. 
and that's well, the difference. Well, and here's the other thing, though. You talk about uh, the finals being different. What if we're in game two and the, the Warriors are down 0-1, and now Steve Kerr says that, you know, he's going to limit the amount of minutes, or let's say Boogie Cousins doesn't play down the stretch in game one. And how much of a distraction could this be if well, Cousins could be, flips if that's out a, during the again, finals? That, I think that's going to have to do with Boogie thinking about his money for next year. Because if he just stays quiet, then that, I think, adds dollars to his pocket. No he's, got, he's got to think. He's got to think. Let's, uh, let's move on quickly to wrap it up with, explain this to me, Adam. The, the Rockets, on their current nine-game winning streak, have figured it out. And that means what? Well, it means that they're now a serious contender once again. It's, we're seeing the team that we saw during last year's playoffs, and then we all forgot that we saw them during last year. I should say last year's regular season. And then get into the playoffs. And I mean, they were one awful shooting game, historically bad shooting game away from, from being in the NBA Finals and potentially winning a championship. And I know it's easy to say we can always play the what-if game, but the thing is... It, it, Last year, the chemistry that Chris Paul and, and James Harden had was tremendous. And what we're seeing now, Noah, that, that I think is so encouraging if you're a Rockets fan is the idea that they can win by outscoring you in big numbers, you know, putting up over 115, or they can hold you to um, under 100, which we saw mm-hmm. against Toronto and Philly and, and Dallas. So I think that's what's scary right now is that they're figuring out on the off- offensive end and the defensive end. And I think this Harden thing was almost good for the team. Get it out of his system. Let him take his shots. He did all that. He's going to end up leading the league in scoring. And now they focus on some of the little things they need to figure out. He took care of that while they were down. They all appreciate that he's the leader. So I think psycho- psychologically it all works out. And now it'll be interesting to see, with everybody healthy, just how good this, this team can be. Yeah, and I think they can be really good, too. because Eric And I think Eric Gordon is such a huge key for them. And also Kenneth Fareed has mm. turned back the clock. Clint, <laughs> Capel, Clint Capel is healthy. And when Chris Paul is on the floor and healthly, again, it, it is, it's the question every single year in the league. Can Chris Paul stay healthy in the playoffs? If he can, it's a completely different story. If he can't, then it's the same old story for a Chris Paul team. That was fascinating. Well, our guest now is Ed Fang, who most notably went to high school with myself at Westchester East in, in Pennsylvania. But Noah, that's that's not the big thing, and that's not the reason we're having him on. Uh, Ed, Ed, yeah, in case you're wondering, he he's actually one of the smartest people I know. He got his undergraduate degree at Rice, then went on to get his PhD at Stanford in applied math. Uh, and has founded the Power Rank after writing for Grantland and uh, uh, Deadspin. And uh, the Power Rank uh, works basically in, in analytics. And he has corrected, correctly predicted over the last, I think, 16 years, Ed, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, over 7% uh, of uh, March Madness games correctly. Ed Fang has nailed them. So Ed Fang is an expert in the world of analytics, in sports analytics, and that's why we're excited to have him on the uh, Catch and Shoot podcast. Ed, uh, thanks for joining Noah and I. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I love what you guys are doing at Catch and Shoot. Listen to a bunch of episodes. Really enjoyed Steve Javi. And uh, I'm sure we'll get into the analytics a little bit, but uh, it's seven of the last, uh, sorry, nine of the last 17 champions have either been the highest or next highest win probability 
by my model. Mm. Wow. So Ed, can you explain your your algorithm? Yeah. So my algorithm essentially says, uh, you know, it, it it's it takes margin of victory and it adjusts for strength of schedule, and it's all an attempt to figure out who the best teams in the nation are. Because when you fill out your bracket, you need to fill out the champion. That's the the most important choice. And it started from my academic research back when I was working on my PhD, uh, did a lot of mathematics of randomness. And, um, you know, from a basketball perspective, uh, I I take, in its most simplest form, I take a quantity like margin of victory, and then I adjust for who you've played. And so this certainly matters if you're Gonzaga, who's beaten teams by an average of 25 points this year, but played a weaker schedule in the West Coast Conference versus teams like Virginia and Duke who don't have as big a margin of victory as Gonzaga, but they play in a tough ACC. And so they, they actually rank slightly ahead of Gonzaga. But it's a very competitive year, and, and the analytics just it's another tool to help you sort out who the best teams in the country are. I want to, I want to obviously talk plenty of hoops, but what, is, what does a data scientist do? Right. So, I mean, in a nutshell, I would say I take data and I try to make it in a form that helps you make better decisions. And I, and I think that's what data scientists should do. Um, and in this case, I take 5,000 plus college basketball games from the regular season. And I try to condense that into a form that will help you win your bracket. Noah. Um, and, and that's what these team rankings do. Uh, and I, we, we can talk about like offensive and defensive efficiency numbers too, uh, and the same types of ranking algorithms where you mm-hmm. consider who you've played apply there as well. Um, so yeah, it's just, you know, if I gave you a spreadsheet with 5,000 lines for every game of the current college basketball season, it wouldn't really be useful to you, but I, I try to condense it in a way that can help you make better decisions about your bracket. I've already learned something, Adam. It's, it's data, not data. That was going to be my question too, actually. <laughs> so, that, so that's that's true. It's definitely data, not data. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm probably not the right person to ask about it, but yes, I do say data, and uh, I I am a data scientist, and um, yeah, yeah. It, okay. it's it's been a it's been a fun transition from academia into the world of sports, where you know there's less data scientists working. How'd this all start? Yeah, well, it all started when I. Uh, kind of bombed out of the academic world uh did not get along with my advisor uh the guy who was supposed to be my mentor at berkeley uh it's a story i tell in the first episode of pure bracket wisdom and uh it was some details that my wife didn't even know so it was fun letting her listen to that for for the first time but essentially i told my mentor that i didn't think he was all that great and that was uh you know i was young and foolish and and that was the end of that was the beginning of the end of my academic career and I was looking for something else to do. And I stumbled across uh, the PageRank algorithm of Google. So this was something that they invented to make sense of the web. Um, just like, you know, the web, you know, just like I talked about those 5,000 games in college basketball, like the web is just kind of a mess of websites and links connecting them to, uh, to each other. And PageRank was a way for them to organize which websites were the most important. And the same ideas, uh, it's based on applied math and you can apply the same ideas to sports. You have to do a little bit of work, um, but that's what I was able to do, and that's that's how I got into ranking uh, teams and predicting the outcome of games. Ed, what's the uh, most misunderstood thing about uh, the field of of sports analytics? 
What is the most misunderstood thing? Yeah, I mean, I might say that this notion that you can just go by the analytics and you don't have to think about anything else. I mean, maybe that's not the most misunderstood notion, but I think that's the thing I would like to quell the most in the sense that, like, I don't want you to go to my site and, you know, whoever's the top-ranked team, I think it's Virginia now. I don't want you to go on my site and, and say, oh, well, that is the gospel, and I'm just going to pick Virginia to win my bracket. Um, you know, I think of data and what I do as helping you make better decisions, whether you're betting on games, entering a pool, and a big part of making better decisions is is understanding the data, but also being able to watch games and, and understanding the ceiling of teams and the floors of other teams. And, you know, it's been great to have Adam on my po podcast because Adam knows a lot more about basketball than I do. And, and it's fun to bounce ideas off because there is a, you know, I would say like a subjective eye test that's really important in making predictions and, and winning your pool. And I don't want anyone to think that, Hey, you just go to my site and you look at numbers and, and everything's great. I mean, the numbers will help you a lot, but um, you, you need to, you know, the, I find the eye test really important. And I hope that, I hope I hammered that home in, in pure bracket wisdom. But if you're going to just do one, like if you, if say if, you know, um, so my wife always, she doesn't watch college basketball and she always says, all right, let's, let's fill this out. And I watch a lot of college basketball, but should I tell her, all right, either you, get, you have two options. You're going to either go to Ed's site, or you're going to talk to me. What should she do? Oh man, that's hard, Noah. <laughs> Talk to you, okay. of course. Well, no, no. Well, then, then take me out of it. So, say it's like just some uh, a person who watches uh, an average amount of college basketball versus going to the site. Like they have, they've got, they've got to choose one of those two things. Right. I would say go with the analytics. Yeah, just if I, you're I kind of so like, too. yeah, I mean, just if you're kind of like last minute and. Um, you know, I mean, there's a couple really simple things that, that analytics can help you do. And the first is as simple as realizing, like, you know, the choice of champions worth so much more, 32 points, compared to a round of 64 game. So don't spend too much time thinking about 12 over 5 upsets. And then you go beyond that, and analytics can help you figure out who's got a chance to be the champion. But what analytics doesn't tell you is that Duke is the best team in this country with Zion Williamson, right? And... Even if the numbers don't say that, however you want to kind of parse it out, like that is truth. And that's something that you won't necessarily get just from looking at the numbers. So over the course of this, so over the course of the season, how often are you adjusting uh, your model to take into account things like injuries and uh, coaches getting fired or suspensions, things like that? Right. I mean, I mean, the, so during the season, the answer is not a lot. Uh, I let the kind of data speak for itself. And, and what you see on my site is uh, looks over all games from every team. Now, if you really want to drill down to, uh, you know, the finer details of things, you know, how good is Duke without Zion Williamson? You can do that. So I can certainly take away the last however many games that he hasn't played, look at what Duke's team rankings are. And, and I will do that. But there, you know, you also run into this problem is like, well, it's a pretty small sample size of three or four games that that he missed. So um, th there are those issues as well. Um, so it's always it, it there's never like the exact answer for things like, you know, how how much better is Kentucky without Travis Reed or or, or with him? Um, so it, it 
you you kind of uh, you do a bunch of calculations. So if you're asking like, is Kentucky better the second half of the season? Well, I can give you an estimate based on the numbers uh, for that question, but it I, I don't recommend necessarily just going by those numbers. Uh, I recommend you know watching these teams play and and. So to answer your question, yeah, I mean, I do make these adjustments once it's the end of the year, and I'm really trying to figure out who the best teams are with their current lineup. Um, but it's it's also more nuanced than that. When did you figure out you could actually make a living doing this? Yeah, when did I figure that out? Um, well, I started doing it on the side, and then some friends got interested in investing a little bit, so so they made a small investment that helped me uh do it and then you know it's kind of been a gradual process with gradual growth um so and and it obviously helps that my wife's a doctor as well so it takes a little bit of financial pressure off sure um so yeah all those things combined i mean i've been doing it full-time since 2012 and it's uh you know it's it's a great life what what kind of doctor is your wife she's a high-risk obstetrics doctor wow so if, yeah, so if your wife's pregnant, you do, don't want to see my wife. Right, right, and it, right. I mean that 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 to me is it's actually pretty wild. Like the the dynamic in in the home that we always say that, that sports is just this child's game and a distraction from everything else, and we're not. Um, it's not life or death when your wife's job is that. Right. Yeah, for huh. sure. Yeah, she she definitely you know, does more important work. But but I would like to say like about my work, it is definitely not life and death. Um, but also to me, it's it's not about helping gamblers win more football bets, which is kind of the majority of, of what my business does. Mm-hmm. Um, what's what's important to me also is that, you know, we can use sports to kind of motivate the next generation to, to get interested in analytics and get interested in how numbers can make them help them make better decisions. And, you know, March Madness is just a huge part of kind of like my life mission to to use analytics to pe- help make people's lives better. Yeah, so how, how, do you, how do you go about that? Because when I was a kid, I really liked, I really liked math really until I got to AP Calc BC, senior year in high school. And Adam would have, no, he, he was lost at Algebra 2. But AP Calc, AP Calc BC, senior year in high school, and it's a good thing that, like on our report cards, an eighty was just as good as an eighty-nine. It was just a B. We didn't get B minus. And I and I fought really hard for that eighty. I, I worked really hard to get that eighty. And then I was kind of just out on it. And at BU at at Com, it was the College of Optional Math. So I didn't even I didn't even take math. But I I remember thinking like, all right, I always want to be a sportscaster. Like as long as I can figure out batting average and that type of stuff, I'll be fine. But I almost wish that I had worked a bit harder at it. So so how how do you use it? to where on the, on like an elementary school level, junior high, high school level to not scare kids off from it. Yeah. I mean, I, I hate the way math was taught to us. Uh, I would like to reteach everything that, that we learn kind of coming up in math. Uh, it's part of the reason why I go in and I teach math at my kid's school. Uh, we mm. do a bunch of coding. Um, but so kind of the first answer is that like, you just got to make it interesting and you got to make it kind of problem driven. So, for example, like one thing I do with my kids coding class is I go in and I ask them, I was like, all right, do you want, I'm going to give you two options. I'm going to give you 50 bucks or I'm going to give you the sum of one cents plus two cents plus three cents, so on and so forth up to a dollar. 
and that kind of gets their attention and they're like oh okay uh well 50 dollars sounds good but then i'd have to like sum all these numbers up to 100 and then and then i asked them uh you know do you want to do that by hand or do you want to do it on the computer and all but except the brattiest kid in class says oh let's do it on the computer <laughs> so so i think one thing is is you know you got to get people like a motivation to think about it and you know in sports like the tournament is a motivation to think about it right you you want to win your pool i've I think I've shown over the last four or five years that if you use analytics and strategy, you give yourself a way better chance um, to win your pool. And then I think, you know, for, you know, like, you know, as a broadcaster, like I, I think there's like a ton of ways to kind of incorporate numbers into the analysis. And um, yeah, we can talk more offline about that, but like, I, I think it's just a rich area um, to just make the game more interesting to, to everyone. Well, no, that's, and Adam, if you don't mind, let's, can we stay with that for a moment? That it, it's how to, and a, and a lot of networks are trying to figure out, team broadcasts are trying to figure it out, how to make it so it's not overwhelming for the audience and how you do go about dipping the audience's toes into that. How, how would you recommend it? Yeah, I mean, I think you definitely want to keep it simple. Like in, in college basketball, there's 351 teams and you know, for example, like I try to stay away from like, you know, saying, oh, this team scores 115 points per 100 possessions. And I'd rather just go with ranks. So if I tell you, you know, Gonzaga is first in the nation in offensive efficiency after you make schedule adjustments, but they're 14th after those schedule adjustments on defense. Well, that gives you an idea that they're better on offense than they, they are on defense. So I think sticking with ranks, I mean, that's a lot easier in like the NBA when you're when you're just looking at like one through 30. But, um, yeah, so instead of muddying it up with, like, too many numbers, uh, just just giving ranks, I think, can can help people just get an idea of, like, oh, this team's elite. Or, no, they're not quite elite. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what about the stats that don't matter or don't matter as much? Right. Yes. Uh, yeah, and I think that, yes, there's, so there's a lot of those. And, um you know, I think a lot of that comes down to just small sample size in the sense that like, you know, it kind of frustrates me when, when, you know, some, some sports commentators will say, oh, well, you know, they were, you know, they were five and zero in this, this rivalry game over the however many years. Uh, it's just, it's just too, it, it, it's, it's a kind of stat that just doesn't help you forecast what you're going to see on the court. And mm. so basically the bigger sample size you get, the better. And, you know, especially with the NBA, with 82 games, you're, you're going to get a lot of, you know, you, you can get more of that. It's, it's, it's more of a problem in college basketball when you only have 30-some games. So, yeah, you know, you bring up a great point, Adam, because I, I think the broadcast would be better if, if you just kind of avoided the trivia and, you know, did more things with, you know, data that incorporated everything from over the season. Well, what's, what's so interesting about it is it's always – it's the ongoing discussion, and this is why I love – picking your braid and it's because it's that it's the battle that was going on for a while between purists and it and um, analytics folks mm-hmm. and and it seems like you got the old guard and everything but what's so interesting about the way that you view the world and i think and i think so many people in the world of analytics do and they and they get they don't get a fair shake is the idea that you're still as you mentioned you're still using what you see and in a lot of ways as you're pointing out analytics is just giving you more sort of to look at and look for like in a way you're 
it's it's opening up new possibilities because oh this guy shoots 40 percent from three over the course of 82 games he must be doing something right even if the five times you watched him play he didn't shoot well and i think yeah. that's and and obviously you know uh that's an interesting one i ed one thing for me you talked about how you don't want to help um just just help rather i should say people uh win lots of money uh what's the most money you ever heard that uh that you might have helped somebody win yeah that's tough to say i mean there, there's a lot of members on my site and you know i get emails saying thank you a bunch i don't i don't know if there's i don't really know like an amount and probably not surprising that they're not telling me the amount of it. <laughs> it's fair enough though yeah well what about on the flip side how often do you hear from people i'm sorry no okay how how often do you hear from people that uh or i shouldn't say how often but what maybe what's the worst uh email you got that that someone blamed their loss on on you yeah i mean i this one was probably a joke but someone someone said they used like the public part of my website and lost everything once so everything everything was a joke yeah, I hope someone was drunk and just trying to prank me. Uh, well, given given some of Adam's stories on uh, when we go off the rails, <laughs> it might have been him. Um, let's uh, let's talk a little bit actual actual hoops. So, do Belmont, Lipscomb, do those teams deserve to be in the tournament over the mid to slightly below average SEC Big Ten schools? In my opinion, yes. Uh, unfortunately, I don't sit on the committee, but you know, we all kind of love the the David versus Goliath story, and you know, it it kind of killed me a little bit to see Lipscomb lose. They're forty fourth in my team rankings. Uh, just a great name for a school, and and to see some, you know, kind of that's what we really love in March Madness. So it really just kind of it, it kind of hurts when they when they don't get in. Uh, Belmont's forty eighth in my numbers. Um, you know. They they were the favorite in that game against Murray State, and mm-hmm. it, uh, the tournament is obviously better with John Morant and Murray State in and as well. But Belmont certainly deserves to to go as well. And um, just to just to kind of give you some perspective, let, let me look for. Uh, I'm looking at my team rankings right now. Uh, actually, I don't even see in. Well, okay, so in Indiana is like 32nd, so they would be like ranked ahead of uh, either of those schools. Um, but just, just, you know, I look at Indiana, I'm like, they're still on the bubble, which kind of boggles the mind after, you know, the losing streak they had in the big 10 this year. Um, I certainly think that the Belmonts and Lipskins should go. I think it enhances the excitement of the entire tournament. Unfortunately, these are not really the decisions that the, the committee is making. Right. And, and they're, they're trying to pick the best team. So I get that. And maybe those best teams do come from the power conferences, but I think it takes a little bit away from the excitement of the tournament. I agree. You, you, well, you actually just mentioned Indiana. How do your numbers evaluate a team like that that went through a major losing streak during Big Ten play and then they sweep Michigan State and yep. have picked up some big wins as of late? And the committee doesn't use, at least officially anymore, the the last 10 games as, as a tool to decide whether teams get in. But in terms of how far Indiana, if they do get into the tournament, how far they'll go, how do you how do your numbers look at what they've done in terms of such an erratic season? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I would I would say they're a pretty high variance team. You know, the 32nd that I have them at right now doesn't really 
take that variance into account, right? Like it kind of sums over when they were doing really well in the out-of-conference season, the really bad times uh, during the start of Big Ten season, and then obviously the good times beating Michigan State twice. So, again, it's it's a nuanced thing. I mean, I could definitely go back and break the season down and, and show that Indiana – I think I mean, I think they were as good as, like, 15th at one point in my numbers. They're probably as bad as 80th, 100th, you know, on their downside. But the average comes out to uh, 32. And, you know, I guess naively, Adam, I would just say, like, you know, that, that rank of 32nd is probably your best predictor going forward just because it looked at the goods and the bads. Um, but obviously, there's there's more nuance to it than that. Is there a data scientist on the committee? I don't know. I know the committee talks to people like Ben Alomar, who used to work at ESPN. Mm. I think Ken Pomeroy has talked to those guys as well. Um, they introduced these new net rankings, which are, you know, better than the RPI. Uh, probably still leave a, a little. It leaves a little bit mathematically to be desired. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think. You know, for example, like I'm pretty sure they're looking at Ken Palm when when they're evaluating teams. That's certainly not like the biggest thing that goes into that, but I think it is a factor in their decision making process. So, so then looking at your rankings right now, you've got Virginia, Duke, Gonzaga, Michigan State as we record on Tuesday, March 12th. So, it, would that be your final four? Oh, I mean, obviously, depending on the seating. So, but I'm saying you you would, but if you think those are the four best teams and they are in the, and if and if they are in four different regions, you would pick those four teams to be in the final four. Is that how it works? Yes, that's how it works. So that would be like the favorites bracket where you pick the higher ranked team in every game. You would get mm-hmm. those four teams as a final four. Um, but you know, getting getting into that a little bit, like I mean, I think the top three, uh, by the numbers kind of they all kind of passed the eye test and, and this was great having adam on my podcast and he said the exact he said the exact same thing mm-hmm. that the numbers have been saying all year michigan state's a really interesting team too because they're just having such an amazing season um with without kind of the upside that they've had the last couple of years so i think we could have a long discussion here about like exactly how michigan state is going to perform in this tournament um because i think they do have a lower ceiling than those other three teams yeah, and it's wild because, I mean, they lose the Middle Tennessee at one point in, in the tournament, and then you get the years where it's just, well, how do you bet against Tom Izzo in March? Who, based on... Based yeah, exactly. On... Actually, can we, can we, can we uh, uh, talk about that real quick? Yeah, so, sure. I think it was like 15 and 16, Michigan State beat Virginia two straight years, and this was like the height of Izzo as a great tournament coach. They haven't made the Sweet 16 since, and... It just goes to show you just how fickle things can be. Uh, I actually did some analysis of coaches before the 2016 tournament. This was right after Izzo made the Final Four as a seven seed the year before. You would have said Tom Izzo is a great tournament coach. You would have said Jay Wright's a terrible tournament coach. Um, and so th- those things tend to be fickle. All right. So uh, last one then. Who or last one for me? Who's based on the numbers? Who's undervalued? Yeah, I think that's a great question, and I think uh, you know. Uh, it really de- it depends on the seeding because I think a lot of that affects how people pick their brackets. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're just looking at numbers, like I think like a North Carolina and a Kentucky could be really undervalued. Mm-hmm. Kentucky just because 
they just have so much NBA talent on that team. We kind of all lost track of them after they got smacked around by Duke in that first game, but they've been really playing well recently. And I, I think their defense is exceptional. Uh, game against Florida, I watched the last 10 minutes of the game and, and Florida couldn't do anything against that team. And then North Carolina, uh, a team with a lot more upperclassmen, uh, Roy Williams uh, knows what he's doing. And, and, and I think uh, they're a team, again, another team that didn't look good in the beginning of the season. I actually saw them up here in Ann Arbor play Michigan. Uh, and North and Michigan beat them pretty pretty handily. Uh, but th- there's another program that's that's coming on and could could really surprise people. Now, as I say that, like those two teams could be one seeds. Uh, at least I, I think that's what <laughs> Lenardi had them projected as earlier today. So we'll see how it all breaks down. Yeah, North Carolina's Kobe White is an absolute superstar. I love the kid so much, the the freshman point guard. Ed, um, before we let you go, you're working on a project with the Pure Hoops family, actually, your Pure Bracket Wisdom uh, podcast series. Uh, just if you could briefly just describe what uh, what what you're aiming to do and uh, what you're aiming to tell people in, in this podcast series. Yeah, I mean, Pure Bracket Wisdom is a 10-part daily podcast series to get you ready to win your 2019 pool. Every episode is about 10 minutes, so I try to get in and out of your day as, as quickly as possible. And some of the episodes are about strategy, you know, how, you know, what kind of strategy you can have in terms of picking the right pool and, and how to pick the champion. And then the other episodes are previewing teams. So I've looked at Michigan, Gonzaga, Virginia, uh, I'm clearly waiting to do the Duke one because I'm, I'm waiting for someone to show up on the court on Thursday night to see how he looks. Um, but you'll get a combination of those two things. Uh, there'll be some bracket analysis after the field is announced. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I just love the audio medium and, and so happy that Pure Hoops has, has welcomed me into the family to, to present it on their stage. And I and, uh, would love to know what everyone thinks of Pure Bracket Wisdom. Awesome. Well, it's been awesome so far. You can you can check that out wherever podcasts are found. You got to subscribe because Ed's dropping a new one every day as as we get into uh, into tournament action. You don't want to be behind by the time you get your hands on a on a bracket. And you can also find Ed uh, at thepowerrank.com or on, at thepowerrank on on Twitter. Ed, it's been awesome having you on. Appreciate it, and uh, I'm looking forward to you helping me uh, win my pool. Yeah, it sounds good. Hey, thank you so much for having me on, and and keep up the good work with catch and shoot. Yeah, thanks, Ed. I know you were holding your breath during that entire interview, Adam, that I wasn't going to ask Ed for Adam Stanko <laughs> high school stories. Noah, you, you you think that I'm concerned about you knowing uh, yeah, embarrassing things about me at this now point? That you, now I, that you know stories, now that I know stories about Topeka, Kansas. Would, uh, yes. Were you guys even in the same math class? Oh, no. No, come on. I mean, Ed was valedictorian. He was a super bright guy. We all knew what, what his potential uh, had in store. But he actually played basketball. Ed's told me that uh, he was like the original 3 and D guy and that that skill wasn't, you know, that skill set wasn't as, as valued back then. You know, a guy that couldn't really handle it but uh, could shoot some from the outside and he'd play mm-hmm. tough D. And obviously that's that's much, uh, much more valued in today's game. But uh, he's... He really is. It, it's wild to see that somebody who's taken that kind of education and applied it to sports, it really is a motivator, I think, for people out there, especially young people that, you know, might think about what could I do with applied math. Right, exactly. Like real world applications for this yes. stuff in, in a field that you're interested in, like sports. Yes, I, I, I could have used that when I was 
suffering through AP Calc. You BC. got an eighty. You got oh an eighty. Oh my god! My buddy, my buddy Josh, who went to Duke and he's a lawyer now. He uh, he upgraded his graphing calculator. Remember those graphing calculators we had sure. in high school? He upgraded his to like the TI, whatever the next level was, and it had all these other, it had like blue and yellow buttons on it instead of the ones that we got in school. So it had all these other functions, and he called it Wall Street because it was a good investment because it did all the work for you on this thing. And then and then he would like scribble because you always had to show your work. So then he would like, his handwriting was awful anyway. Then he would like scribble things, and then when the teacher would say like, yeah, well, Josh, what's this? He's like, uh, you know, I can't really see it, but like, I mean, the answer is right, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he got an eighty too. Uh, no, no, Josh got an A in that class. Oh, Josh, yep. Congrats, Josh. Josh. Josh got an A in that class. Time to hit the spread. All right, so the spread is what everybody looks forward to after the game. Usually, more so if you win the game, but it's our main topic today, and that is. Coming off our conversation with Ed, it's a conversation that happens this time of year, every year, Adam, is, oh, college basketball is so much better than the NBA. Okay, well, yes, the NCAA tournament is better than anything the NBA can offer. A one-and-done tournament is the best. And it would be that way in any sport, if the NBA did it, if baseball did it, and that's what makes the just the one game playoff games in baseball I think so interesting and also why I wish that the NBA went back to best of five in in the first round of the playoffs so it also helped move things along a little bit there there's you can't compare the two and it and it drives me up a wall and I almost mm-hmm. wanted to be able to copy and paste this conversation in response to anybody who who brings this up so I don't even have to have it again to me it's so inane that college basketball, for an entire season isn't anything close to what the quality of professional basketball is because those are professionals. Um, but also the, it, the there's, unless you're in the arena, unless you're in the arena, you don't really get, you don't really get the feel for it. In the NBA, I think you can get excited for even lower level games, watching it on TV, but that, but maybe that could just be me. But for certain college games, like unless you're in the arena and it's not the NCAA tournament, then it's a little bit more difficult. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with everything that, that you just said. I, I agree with you. And I think it's weird, too, because in one sense, what I love about the NBA playoffs is that the best team, barring injuries— the best team wins the championship every year. There, there is no excuses. They, and it takes a long time to get there, but we are going to figure it out and we're going to do it right. You know, they, and so you take away some of the chaos uh, that we see in, in other sports. In, in, you know, baseball almost requires such a long period of time to get, as Ed would describe it, a true sample size, right? Seven games isn't enough for, for a baseball series. If you really want to find out which team is better, Football, they have one game to determine it, and anything can happen in the course of one game. But in basketball, the best team wins four out of seven. So I love the way the playoffs determine, as someone who wants to see who was the best team, I want those guys to end up with the rings at the end. The thing about college—oh, go ahead. 
But what I was going to say is what's interesting about college basketball is, though, is that the dynamic changes so much with a one-game format, and yet, and we can talk, talk about that, but what's interesting is in college basketball, in order to win six straight games, you can't win a championship unless you're a truly great team. And, I, and I've tried to explain that to people. Like, they'll say, well, do you think this team will make the second weekend? And I'm evaluating a Duke or Virginia or Gonzaga or even, you know, Wofford or Belmont. And I always say, here's the thing, is that a lot can depend on matchups. They, a lot of teams can win two games in a row. That's not hard for a college basketball team that's already qualified for the tournament. But to win six straight games in which you're probably going to face one or two top two seeds – then in that situation, you have to be really great. But that doesn't guarantee you're the best team. And so there's, there's that part of it that I, that I uh, sort of struggle with because I love both sides of it. I love the fact that there's the one-and-done aspect of, of college basketball, but I also love the fact that we get a true champion in the NBA. And so for my appeal, like of true champion nature, even the playoffs themselves, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if I agree better with that. Than March I, I Madness mean, just because they give us a truer. Yeah. Champion. Cause you, you just, it's just the way you determine a champion is, is different and anything can happen any given night. So there's right there. It, like in the NBA with best of seven, it, you just kind of remove a lot of variables because I mean, anything on any, on any one night can, uh, you know, anyone can get cold one. I mean, the Rockets went over twenty six, and you know, if that was the if that was the one game, then they're finished. Well, they were finished anyway. But if that was the one game, they were finished. Um, yeah. True. And and Noah, I'll I'll say this too. Like what I find fascinating about the NCAA tournament personally is that the tournament is unlike because it's one and done. Right, it and their psychological kids. impact on guys that's so different than anything they've experienced during the course of the year. You know they're they're kids, and they've also – you take any team from a power conference, let's say, and they've spent the mm-hmm. last couple months playing in front of sellout crowds yep. and in hostile environments. And then they come, and there's these weird tip times and stuff. And then all of a sudden, because of the way that different teams are situated in the same arenas, now you've got fans that start turning against you because they weren't really your fans at first. And, and that's the case, like Virginia against UMBC – Last year, we see a first ever 16 over one, and it happens because Tony Bennett's like, Well, I'm not going to adjust because I don't want to make my kids nervous by adjusting. And in doing right, and so, that, and that's what's great is the, the early you know, upsets upset, are great. You know, like the number the one final seed in the four, tournament, so. I want to see, see the blue bloods, but but also given the, the nature of just college athletics now, yes, now I'm at the point yes. where I want a mid major to win the title because I like I want. I want someone from outside the Power Five. Like I used to think, like I, I still want to see the four best teams there. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't anger me if a team from a mid-major rolled through and won it all and stuck it to the Power Five because of how I think how stuck up the Power Five is. Yeah. Exactly. No one. They won't. They won't schedule so these teams. Them. Right. A lot I mean, it's so hard to schedule games. They won't come to your gym. Yeah, it, other teams can go twelve like, Duke, and zero in Duke the non-conference because they're not going to leave the state of New York. They're ACC open. But maybe, maybe I am. But absolutely, and it's that part is is infuriating, and so that it's sort of this um, this disparity that I that I take issue with in the college game. But that's also, in a way, what makes it so exciting when you see teams that go on these runs. And I'll say 
The one thing that I also love, not just the pageantry, and we both probably have a special place in our hearts for mm-hmm. college basketball because of, you know, our involvement with it, but also what we kind of grew up on, I'm sure. But I also love the idea that you can get one guy that comes out and makes a name for himself and just has the chance to do something that he's never going to get the opportunity to do again. And so maybe he's not the best professional out there. He's not LeBron. He's not Jordan. He's not Kobe. A college legend. You know, when Fletcher McGee goes off this year, a guy that's hit 500 threes in his college career, when He's going to be a college legend. And just to, to go on that stage one time Farouk and get to Manash just in front of the world, Harold yeah, Arsenault, right. those, those you know, guys the great become, names you the become a legend. saw before. Um, and exactly. And, and sometimes not even just a shot, just their overall game over the course of a game, just how dominant they were at the college level is, is pretty cool to see, knowing that it's over right after, right after the tournament is finished. I think we're about to go off the rails. Well, Noah, normally at this part of the podcast, we do off the rails, but pretty much you know that my life is off the rails. Uh, I have not slept in two years, and now we're hitting a point where I'm just falling over. So we're just we're just going to say goodbye, I think. Right, you're like, you're, like, you're like the Warriors that it's, you know, you, you just decide like when it catches up to you, like when the whole run catches up to you. And so it's like, <laughs> it's when it's convenient. And right now, it's convenient to be tired so that you can blame your your work slippage on being exhausted. I get it. Yeah. Actually, I don't get it because <laughs> my daughter sleeps. No, but, but you understand. I mean, you're traveling to, you know, Hattiesburg and you're oh, hitting spots, all pal. these. Hot spots. I know. I'm not knocking them. I'm saying your travel schedule is so insane that you probably lose some sleep on occasion. Yeah, I took a nap this afternoon. What did you do? <laughs> I worked. Exactly. I worked. And exactly. And, Don't feel bad I, for me. <laughs> yeah, I, trust me, that, that does not, that does not happen. <laughs> no, but before we fully say goodbye, we probably should, should thank everyone. We, I do want to start with Ed Fang. It was awesome to have Ed on. Uh, check him out at the Power Rank. And uh, also his podcast series on Pure Hoops podcast. You can check him out. It's Pure Bracket Wisdom, wherever podcasts are found. Yep, but, thank you, Ed. Yep, thank you, Ed. And, and we also, of course, have to contractually thank Bruce Bernstein, our producer, Eric Newman. Right, I never Newman. signed that contract. I never did. I, I, I've never, I haven't signed a contract. I'm telling you, you're much, more, you're much more official in this whole thing than I am. Well, that's true. I've got an email. But I, I signed mine in blood. I, I think that counts for something. Oh. Um, and uh, Noah, and, and people can catch you where? Where are we going to catch you in the next week or so? Uh, check out WatchStadium.com. You can see the games there on Thursday. And make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and share the show. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.